Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport.fnr. gis.sport.fnr. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. episode of State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish is manning the controls and basically he's in what we call uh, the home base running not only controls but guiding us through what promises to be a pretty exciting hour. Uh, I'm of course on Zoom as is our special guest. Uh, She's in the virtual green room. Let's move her into the studio live. Please welcome her from Sydney, Sarah Walsh. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for the invite, George. Always great to chat. Uh, I'd love the fact that you decided to disappear for a moment. What was all that about? <laughs> I uh, pressed the wrong button. Uh, uh, Sarah, can, before we start and talk about uh, a very exciting Asian Cup campaign that our Matildas are about to embark on, and of course we've got the Socceroos next week uh, in, in Melbourne, uh, I just want to talk about you a little bit because we, I think it's an incumbent on all of us to remember just who is there uh, helping the game and taking it to the next uh, you know, generation. Um, former Matilda in your own right, a sky blue in your early days. You played overseas. Um, give us a sense of what it was like and how much excitement um, and, enveloped you at that particular time. Because you know, people say, oh yeah, Sarah Walsh, been there, done that. No, no, no. I want to hear about the excitement and, and some of those early moments that helped to shape you, not only as a footballer, but as a person? Yeah, it's, um, look, I think it's moments like when the Asian Cup comes around, um, you know, and these these big tournaments that that, that come around, you know, um, very rarely, well, obviously, you know, your second year and then a World Cup every every four years, yep. they're really important. Um, I was I was part of the the winning team in 2010, and not long ago I actually um, spent some time with Tom Samani, and you know you get to actually the things that you remember are very different to you know the next person. But um, you know just watching some of the footage of um, Kate Gill score that goal uh, the other day, you know the reruns of the um, the actual match itself, it, it it gives the opportunity I guess um, to be a little bit nostalgic and. Um, you know, I actually sent a text to Katie with the um, with the goal that she scored, and we, we actually we joked and laughed about not touching the ball at all. I reckon I touched the ball twice that entire game. So, you know, it, these moments, as I, as I said, they're rare, but when they come around, it gives you the opportunity to reconnect with your old teammates or your old coach and and have a good laugh about um, you know what was pretty good. Uh, you, you also managed to do that. You scored a goal. I think it was in your last. Uh last game for the Matildas back in 2012? Yeah, against the US. I think we lost 6-2. So it's, uh, it's not, it's not an overly fond memory, but um, look, in the big scheme of things, a lot of players don't get, get a send-off match and that was mine and it was against number one in the world and I scored. So as a striker, you've got to be pretty happy. But um, I, was, I was very happy with the way that I left the game and 
you know, transition into my new role. So, um, yeah, I pinch myself every day. You know, that this role that you have now, and it's a huge role and an enormously responsible one, um, it wouldn't be possible without the experience that you've had as a player, as a, as a participant in the, in the elite competitions in the uh, AFC uh, Asian Cup, and of course, the, uh, the World Cup in, in China. Um, just give us a sense of how much it's helped to prepare you for what you're doing right now. Because um, let's, let's not muck around. Football Australia's head of women's football, <laughs> women's World Cup legacy and inclusion. Uh, not only is that a mouthful, but it's a huge responsibility. And, and I know you're up for it and you have been from the moment you put your hand up. Yeah, look, I, I do take that responsibility on quite serious. You know, they're, they're, we, we work long hours, but, you know, that, that old saying that you won't do a day of work, uh, you know, doing something that you love. And um, look, I, it's, I, I really should, I guess, also point to James Johnson. He was, he was obviously in the, the men's national teams. And I, I think he's done a really good job through this era at Football Australia, at Football Australia in bringing football back to, you know, everything that we do. So, you know, now more than ever, um, the time that I did spend in the game is equally as important um, as, you know, the, the skills that I develop, um, you know, whether it be through, um, you know, post-school education, my, my degree. Um, I think it really helps, helps you be quite rounded, but um, all of my decisions are centred around what's good for the game, what's good for the participant, participant who's the end user, um, but also, you know, our fans so um, and players, obviously. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I, use, I use that that knowledge and IP that, uh, you know, is, is, is been with me since I was five, really. I've loved the game since I was five. So it's, um, you know, I, I really do think it, it really centres me and, and, and um, really helps with decision-making every single day. What made you a striker? <laughs> you know, I was actually a sweeper when I was younger um, because I was quick. And um, it was really ugly football too. I basically just chased down the fastest uh, boy that was close to me that was, you know, getting close to the goal and kick it out. It was ugly. Um, but, you know, I, I had a coach later on, um, Lee Wardell, who who thought that that, that that speed might actually be quite useful up top. And, you know, and then I had coaches over the years that that helped me, you know, be a bit, bit more sophisticated with the ball and, um, you know, use that pace, make sure that you're, utilize it when you when you can so um ended up having a bit of a nose for goal and yeah worked on it until I stopped playing it, it you, you talk about speed as being seriously dangerous and we always talk about speed kills or speed can kill and, and it's a fabulous tool in elite sport in any sport um but I also want to know did it must have been your your awareness component and the way you read the play that allows you to use that speed, to utilise it properly, sitting on the edge of the the so-called sweeper that, that you were... So, were those <laughs> early days in defence helpful in shaping you to be an even better striker going forward and later in your career? Yeah, I'm I, I, probably not the, the time that I, I spent as sweeper. I mean, that's it's a really useless <laughs> position that, you know, keep, keeping strikers onside is, is probably not a smart thing to do. But... Um, and I don't think I was very good at it, to be honest. I, I think there is something to be said. You know, there, there are actually a lot of fast players in the game that, it, you know, if you don't know how to use it, it's, it's a little bit pointless, to be honest. And if you don't work on your first touch, you might be quick enough to get there for your second. But I think it's all about um, the runs that you make and, yep. and really um, having that awareness and tactical awareness around your surroundings. Um, you know, and I think and – it, and, 
it shouldn't go unsaid. I obviously played with Lisa Nirvana for for most of my career. So, you know, if I was able to beat a, a defender and, you know, and had a better option to play inside, Lisa Nirvana was always there. So, you know, it, it helps to have one very quick striker. It's it's amazing to have two. So um, I think that was, you know, why we were very successful during those years and scored plenty of goals between myself, Kate Gill and, and Lisa Devana. So, um, and, and that and that Lisa, that attitude that Lisa still has to this day, she may not may not have that 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 speed that she once had. It's still she might have the first two yards, but maybe she can't con, con, continue it as she once did. But that that energy and that desire is huge, and it's always been part of her, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the it's the repeat work, you know. It's it's you know in the ninetieth minute, you know, you're gonna make that 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 run that you know you, you see your midfielder's head go up. You're gonna make a running behind. You're gonna come to the ball, and more often than not, you know, Lisa and I would kind of work off each other to make sure that we both didn't go forward. So, um, you know, we obviously had someone quite balanced like Kate Gill, who was your stand up <laughs> nine. So, uh, you know, we had a pretty good mix for a while there. But um, yeah, they're they're really good memories and. I think if I look at the strike force today, uh, we have much more variety um, and I think, you know, depth off the bench is is super exciting with this this squad we're about to watch in the Asian Cup. You know, you, you say it's exciting. I'm absolutely thrilled, and Josh is too, and he's said it on a number of occasions, the, the sheer uh, depth of youngsters who are, are getting the sort of games or time to play, we might be able to unearth the next generation in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mary yeah. Fowler's already there. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> that young woman, I, I, yeah. I think she's an absolute delight. If she, You know, you heard the word natural? Yeah. Uh, well, she did a couple of things in a recent competitions where she just turned and with, I mean, it's half a scan and she's hit the ball instantly and it's, beautifully weighted and when you see it weighted like that and if you're a Caitlin Ford or you're Sam Kerr or someone else you must be going um thank you very much yeah it's it's not only her ability to execute it's the vision she had in the first place and and just actually there's just some small things she doesn't get a lot of credit for in in terms of particularly for her age is she's got she's got three or four options before she even has the ball and she scanned them all knows what's happening so that that allows her to really just open up with the first touch and you know take three or four options where most players can't think that quick um and you know the 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 higher you go in this game the less time you have and it still seems like she has all the time in the world sarah chair of the national indigenous advisory group that uh, helps football australia do so much of its stuff this this current uh, side that's heading off for the asian cup We've got some Indigenous stars there who are top, top, top tier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and they're fit. They're fit. Um, you know, and I, I've heard Tony Gustafsson talk a lot about balancing the squad. We, we've already talked about the youngsters that we're probably going to unearth here, and a lot of them being strikers. Um, but it's also about balancing that out with the Ivy Lewix and, and Kai Simon. We were joking off offline about her and. You know, she's Benjamin Button, really. She's playing some <laughs> of her absolute best football. She's, you know, almost peak performance, it seems. And um, she stays fit. She's going to be very crucial, um, particularly having already won um, an Asian Cup. I think you, you really can't underestimate the, the players in this squad that have lifted the cup. Um, that there's something in that muscle memory 
um, yes, they've they've not they've, they've also been part of the losses over the last um, two, particularly to Japan. Um, but they know there's a lot of responsibility. Um, I do think they they understand that their favourites go into this, and that's that's the difference about this team how how they cope and deal with that kind of pressure. Um, because that pressure is going to be there in 2023 as well. So we have the team to be able to do it. Um, they need to hold their nerve and, and treat each, you know, team, uh, each game by game and actually just trust the process. For Football and Australia, also, Sarah. Yeah, sorry, we, George. Um, yeah, for, go ahead. I just wanted to ask, you mentioned the selection of Ivy Lewick there and sort of balance of ages in the squad. Uh, what is the sort of objective here beyond just winning the Asian Cup? Because it, it's hard to balance when you've got a tournament to prepare for Next year on home soil, it's obviously the big goal versus the prize of silverware now. And, you know, where an experienced player like Ivy Lewick fits into the picture in, in both competitions. I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, Football Australia's thinking on uh, what's the priority here? What's the, what's the end goal? And, and how do you balance those two objectives? Yeah, well, I think you actually just, you kind of answered it. It's, it's you know, we're in performance mode now. Um, and although the, the, the big goal here is 2023, um, as a stepping stone to that, we have the Asian Cup. Um, you know, I don't think Tony's gone as far to, as saying that he wants, you know, we're going to win it and we should win it. Um, but lifting a trophy, um, you know, how many months, 18 months out now from the mm. World Cup is going to be important. It's going to be important for the psyche of the players, the team. Um, you know, there was a lot of criticism back around the Olympics um, and, and matches that, um, you know, that, that led into the Olympics. We had some really tough matches. Um, but, you know, it was tough for the team. They trusted in the process and they made it further than any other Matilda's squad had. Um, I went to an Olympics. It is hard work. Um, and, you know, they probably would have lost faith there if they hadn't have made the semi. But if they trust in the process, um, they'll be rewarded. I think that's that's the thinking here for this Asian Cup. We played some very difficult games. We picked number one in the world to come out. We played some tough games. Uh, put two new centre backs in one of those matches, and you know it's it's sink or swim. Um, they are they've battle hardened to this point. Um, they've got all the support they need to be able to have a really good tournament. I think, you know, if you come away from winning this tournament, it goes a long way for these players to trust the process and, and that they're on the right journey to the, the World Cup 18 months later. So um, that's probably why when you think about bringing Ivy Lewick in, you can't turn up to a tournament with, with, with the balance, you know, skewed towards too many youngsters. It's, it's about what happens off the pitch as well. Mm. You know, every time you, you look at a, a young player's eyes mm. in a change room prior to a match, um, yes, we might be playing, you know, Indonesia 94th in the world. You know, there's debutants in that room. They're going to need an old shoulder to, to lean on. So, um, you know, no, no better person than Ivy Lewick. Do we have a clear number one in goal yet? Oh, it's probably a question for you guys, really. I'm probably not going to, um, you know, talk about, um, you know, what that looks like. And I think the beauty of this, the, um, the competitive nature of, of this team, um, you know, everyone's taken their opportunity. We, we got to see that, um, you know, uh, Mackenzie Arnold's struggled to get back on the pitch, but, we, you know, we might see her this, this tournament. Um, you know, Lydia Williams spent some time on the bench as well. She's going to be hungry as ever. Oh, yeah. I think uh, what Tony does want is, is three healthy keepers in the, at the World Cup um, at this, this tournament that are literally pushing each other. Um, pushing each other really hard at training, so mm-hmm. that he ma- it makes that decision really difficult. Um, you said- but we ha- we actually have three very different keepers. You know, Mackenzie Arnold for for you know she doesn't get a lot of credit, but she's 
so amazing with the feet. And yeah. that really allows you as a defence to play very differently. So, you know, you get very different things with, with each keeper. Uh, Tony, very keen to make sure that he gets that winning habit uh, installed in them. And you touched on it earlier. Winning is a habit and it does flow from uh, one end of the, the squad right through to, to your sponsors in a crazy sort of way because everyone is buoyed by the success. So I, I can see how many elements. Um, are you likely to be there to watch them participate? Or are you yeah. going to be like the rest of us? <laughs> well, I'm actually, uh, I'm planning to, to travel just before the uh, just before the final. We uh, I'm part of the AFC Women's Football Committee. Um, so we have a meeting the day before and we'll, we'll celebrate the match. And obviously I, um, I would love to be there watching the Australians play in the final. Uh, Sarah, the countdown is on. Uh, 2023 is getting awfully close. How are we coping? Oh, it's just, seriously, I wake up thinking about it every single day. We, we have a, a bold legacy plan um, that, you know, we've talked a lot about the Matildas today. Uh, we've, we've, we've provided them with a really good, um, I guess, support network and, and plan with particularly with the windows ahead, making sure that we are playing the best opponents, making sure that we fill stadiums. So, they are World Cup ready when we when it comes around to 2023, and you know they flex that muscle when they played the US here in, in front of big crowds. Um, we are trying to create an environment um, that's going to be very real for them, so they can start to you know prepare for that. But outside of the Matildas, you know we we're thinking about infrastructure, uh, further investment into our uh, into our grassroots clubs, and we've got some amazing sponsors with us that that are on the journey. So. Um, this year, very much so, my focus will be telling the story um, and making sure that our community clubs, 2,500 plus uh, community clubs, feel like they're part of the journey. We actually just announced um, uh, and launched a soft launch. It's called the Our Game Project, which is basically going to be where you can follow the journey of the World Cup and be involved as, as a community club member. So, I, um, yeah, I encourage you to join that. Will there be a hub that uh, Football Australia will develop as we get closer to the World Cup? That's that's it. It's called Our Game. So oh, that's our the game okay. yep. Is the platform up and running? It's up and running, yep. So we can look it up and get it going. Yep. Fantastic OurGameOz.com. Okay, fantastic. All right, question before we go any further. There's COVID's knocked uh, a lot of the competition around. Um, and we've seen some of the clubs, both the uh, W, the A League uh, women's and the A League men's, uh, struggling to get uh, consistency. Is that going to impact on anything that we're likely to see next week in in Melbourne, and of course uh, in the opening games overseas, or not? Well, we'll hopefully. Um, well, in short, you just never know. I think yeah. that's that's uh -huh. something that you know. That's there, the variable. Scenario planning that's that's been going on for months and months. I actually just got off the uh, got off a call to to someone who's actually been managing visas for the Vietnam um, team, and and literally, uh, you know, one small government regulation changes here has this flow on effect here, and you know, particularly around PCR testing. But we've got an amazing team internally. We've got a, a really upskilled, um, great national teams department that you know, managed um, as much as we could around um, contingency planning, scenario planning in Dubai to make sure that the team got there healthy um, and make sure that they continue to stay healthy throughout the tournament. Um, you know, I actually heard Tony talk about, um, you know, he actually said once that the team that manages COVID the best will lift the trophy. Um, he also said that about the Olympics. Um, so, 
you know, we also take that motto at Football Australia. So we've prepared as much as we can to make sure that the teams can actually perform at their best. Well, that messaging is 100% on the money because the, the, the more control you have over there, the more consistency you have in your performance. Um, uh, will they be uh, uh, rapid antigen testing or will it be PCR testing throughout the tournament? How does it yeah, work? Yeah, I'll probably go into the detail of, of what's actually happening in camp, but we've got a, a really great medical staff there who are, um, you know, they're making sure that the, the players are tested, uh, making sure that the food, uh, people who are around the food um, within that bubble are, are tested every single day. So, yeah, um, all the players are watching, watched and monitored very closely. Um, I think we've. it's fair to say that we've actually managed quite well moving from Dubai to, to Mumbai now. The team's pretty healthy, so... Um, that's actually all you can ask for. So you have a reasonable degree of control over the, the kind of situation and environment that the team's staying in in India? Yeah, well, yeah, they're, they're a very hard bubble. Um, so I, I won't see the team while I'm over there. They'll basically, mm. you know, there'll be, um, uh, I guess, um, areas um, that are coded, coded off and they'll be protected as much as you can um, in a city like Mumbai. So, um, you know, <laughs> the the... Uh, the the numbers are actually um, going up again, but um, you know by comparison, <laughs> nothing like here. So you know it's um, yeah, I, I have great confidence in our team over there that that they'll they'll get us to where we need to be. Um, there's actually we've already seen a couple of the teams uh, come out saying they've they've got bouts of COVID as well. So again, you know back to what Tony mm-hmm. said, it's the team that manages COVID the best will lift the trophy. Uh, when do the, the nerves kick in? Because we all need them. We know how important they are as a player. They 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 set you on heightened alert. As an administrator, when do you get nervy? Uh, probably when the, the game starts. Um, look, and I think, you know, we obviously uh, really should, should win that first match, but I'm really more concerned about how we play and, um, you know, how the team um, come out of that match. You know, and and our, and our ability to be able to also get some new players on the pitch. So, yeah, they're the things I'll be looking for. But um, it's more excitement when you get to watch. Um, nerves are for playing, I think. <laughs> and on free-to-air TV in prime time, which is uh, a yeah. bit of a luxury for a, a women's Asian Cup. Yeah, and uh, look, I think you know, Network Ten. Um, that that that's one of the best things I, I think we've done over the last twelve months is is pulling this amazing partner who you know, are really active in, in how we, we promote both the teams um, in the Matilda Socceroos and obviously with the A-League. So uh, we couldn't be more happy with, with where we're at. And, and obviously the times are really great. So uh, we're expecting a, a really big following. I, I was going to say, you're in a unique position. Uh, you were there with the ABC covering the game. You were there with Fox covering the game. So for you to say that, you, you see exactly the depth and the opportunity that's presented to the game and to every one of us uh, with the arrival of this contract and their commitment for the next umpteen years to support the game. And I've had some people say to me, how can it possibly, how can it possibly be that a commercial te- uh, station believes in soccer? And I went, guys, <laughs> the world's changing. Yeah. Uh, we've got to start believing because if yeah. we do it, it will filter through. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. I think we've got to believe in ourselves and... Yep. and- Sometimes we get a little bit stuck in the domestic thinking. I mean, with the Matildas at the moment, our, our vision for that team is to, to not only have it be um, as what it is right now, one of the most, well, one of the biggest domestic brands here, you know, male or female, we actually want to make it a global brand, um, you know, and it all starts at the Asian Cup. 
Go girl. Fantastic stuff. I love it. Uh, Our guest on uh, State of Our Football Nation uh, this Thursday on FNR, Sarah Walsh, who's uh, got so many hats that she's got to wear. The the one thing we want to wish her is a safe journey when she gets over there and whatever she can do behind the scenes to just pump them up and help them deliver a special result. Um, We're right there with you. Thanks so much, George. George. All the very best, Sarah. See you later. Thanks. Thanks so much. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Welcome back. State of Our Football Nation here on FNR Football Nation Radio. And we're going to go to the phone lines now because we've got very special guests. They just made a pretty eye-catching surprise signing the other night, bringing in Carl Jenkinson, that, that, that Carl Jenkinson, the former Arsenal fullback himself. He's also got plenty of experience in the championship the reigning champions, their director of football joins us now, Michael Petrillo. Welcome back to FNR. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Uh, tell us uh, about this latest signing and uh, I guess where the, the need arose and, and how on earth you got in touch with uh, with Carl Jenkinson. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Yeah, I, I uh, tell us losing, uh, about uh, this latest uh, signing and uh, I guess where the... Right back, left back we've got... Um, We've got Scott Galloway can play on the left, but also Jordy Boss. Uh, but right back, we don't really have any options uh, coming through the, uh, the academy at the, at the present time. But also with um, COVID and, and uh, Champions League football coming up and a pretty tight schedule of games, we just thought uh, having someone like Sorry, Michael, you just dropped out there for a second. Uh, we have a bit patchy reception out at Casey Fields. Uh, we'll try and get Michael Petrillo back on the line in a moment. Yes, I've got you again now, mate. Uh, please continue. Sorry about that. Just uh, not a great, great line, Denny. Uh, yeah, no, so the recommendation, actually, all, all the, um, the contact came initially through uh, Warren Joyce, who, um, who knows Carl and, and suggested that Melbourne City is a great place to, for him to go. And, and obviously, we, we followed that up. And, and uh, yeah, the deal was done pretty quickly once both parties were to get it done. So is this one of the, the benefits, I suppose, of having that kind of global network of, uh, of coaches now and, and City Football Group having presence in multiple countries that you, you can identify these, these available players more easily? Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we, uh, we actually had our options come up. But, you know, we're so well connected and particularly, you know, when you've got someone like Brian Marwood who's, who's um, you know, very much involved with the club in terms of uh, interest and, and, and keen to, to help us out. And Brian's that well connected sometimes, you know, a couple of phone calls and he can find out pretty quickly what's going on, particularly around England uh, and the championship and premiership. He's, he's, uh, he's got so many contacts there. So Jenkinson comes in to replace Nathaniel Atkinson, obviously has gone off to play for Hearts in Scotland, which is a tremendous move for, for a young player who obviously has soccer's aspirations. Um, you must be pretty proud to see the, the leaps and bounds that he made uh, during his development at City. Yeah, absolutely. I remember standing up on the, on the mound at, um, when we were in Canberra watching the national championships and Nathaniel was representing and in Tasmania and he stood out with Glenn Deere and, and, and his uh, ability to go past players and actually standing there with our ex-academy coach Joe Palatini and we thought this, this kid's definitely a, a very talented boy and, and to get him over to Melbourne uh, at that age 
um, yeah, it's, it's complicated, but you know, uh, it worked really well. And the same thing for ranks, yeah, it, it gives you so much pleasure to see who's you know, done things the hard way and, and get rewarded. Uh, yeah, fulfilling their dream, really. And, and hopefully, it's only the start for Nathaniel because I'm, you know, I'm sure that he'll go on to even bigger and better things as his career progresses. I'm sure the, the club's benefited financially from the move as well. I mean, uh, interesting article in the Sydney Morning Herald the other day with uh, James Johnson telling Vince Rigari that. Uh, maybe Australian clubs can take more advantage of the transfer market and that uh, perhaps Adelaide and Melbourne City are the two clubs uh, leading the way in that department. Yeah, look, look, it's a complicated process. I don't think it's as simple as the way James may yeah, look, we might have to we might have to leave it there, Michael. I'm afraid it's a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy line. So uh, I'm sure we'll we'll get you all back on again when you're in a better phone reception, and uh, we'll give it a go another time. It's a real shame because it's a very interesting subject area, but uh, just can't can't hear you. So uh, we'll we'll go to a break and we'll come back with uh, with George Nikian again on the other side. You're listening to the state of our football nation on FNR. bit too much static and, and too much uh, distortion in, in that segment uh, to really please me. Uh, I was hoping that Michael Petrillo would be um, sitting up a little bit higher in one of those towers they have down there uh, to help the communication uh, you know, travel a little bit further. But clearly, he was in one of those gullies that, <laughs> that everyone's renowned you know, of, of losing themselves in, especially when they're on a mobile phone. You know, it's an amazing 2022 and we still in a major city like, like Melbourne struggle to talk to anyone in the suburbs. Well, George, I was under the impression that City's training base, their new base at Casey Fields had everything, uh, but I realised I was mistaken because they don't have their own cell tower on the roof. Correct. Uh, which I, might Correct. be the next investment. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Uh, but, Especially uh, after we reach out to uh, to um, uh, to Brad Rouse and say, Brad, we had your head of football. We we couldn't we couldn't make hide and hair of what was going on, but we did pick up a gem. Warren Joyce, it seems, still loves Melbourne City and cares about it, uh, its its fortunes. How was that? That's amazing, actually, because I I didn't I wasn't under the impression that things had ended particularly well there, but. Uh, everyone who ever dealt with Warren Joyce, you know, in press conferences and so forth, has told me he's a really lovely guy. And even if the results didn't quite go the way City were hoping, um, you know, he obviously has, still has a soft spot for him if he's willing to help him out with the transfer. So, uh, yeah, amazing um, that they've maintained that relationship even after he was sacked and oh, he parted ways with the Carl brother and Carl Jenkinson's come in as a result. Well, look, Brian Marwood was the, the key player and has been, uh, the conduit for so mm. many, uh, you know, signatures that have played for City over the last ten years, and it's no surprise that if Brian Marwood wants to make a phone call, anyone will and everyone will answer. Uh, but I, I have a, a, a feeling that um, uh, Warren didn't quite please all the journo's the way they would have liked, and of course he got uh, a bum rap. But mm. that's my view on it. I, I got it. I got a unique opportunity to spend some time with him and whenever, whatever we needed, whenever we needed it, he would more often than not be there and available. And if it was with a lower tier club, it didn't matter 
He would certainly give his time freely, never put on any airs and graces. And here it is again. Michael Petrillo says Warren Joyce saw an opportunity for this young man to get some playing time. He's 29 years of age. He still feels he's got something to contribute. Uh, Nottingham Forest is the club that we've got the loan. I think it's a season loan. Is that correct from your end? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, right. So, um... so he's keen to play. Nottingham Forest have had a busy period. They've got a pretty good side at the moment. They, they, they notched a couple of important scalps recently, didn't they, uh, Josh? Yeah, I mean... Jenkinson's an interesting one for me um, as a player because you know him, you know from Arsenal days. Don't yes, you? indeed, and he was a bit of a, a supporter's favourite, almost a cult hero for the way he went about things. He was a local lad; uh, they wanted him to do well. Maybe he wasn't quite up to the Arsenal standard, but his application was always you know second to none. Um, and then he had a bit of a, a bad run with injuries, uh, and I don't think things have gone particularly well for him at Forest. Uh, I didn't see him from the reaction of the. You know the Forest fans on Twitter to this move, uh, but what did they say? What uh, was their? What was I didn't? I, I missed that. What What was the feedback? It was sort of like, oh, you know, you have him kind of thing. But um, sometimes a player just needs a change of scenery, and um, I, I'd be interested to see how he goes in the A League. Uh, it'd be interesting kind of barometer for where the league's at, and. You know, City have had success with, I guess, recuperating players um, with kind of runs of muscle injuries. If you look at Andrew Naboo, um, you know, Curtis, Curtis, good, exactly. Yeah, he had three years where, or, or maybe perhaps longer, might have been four years, where his career there were serious questions about whether mm. he could play at a level that would be worthy of of the young man to continue training. And look at him, uh, knock on wood. He's been a remarkable uh, footballer for the last two years and quite possibly BOG. Yeah. Um, it's it's a shame to see his, um, you know, COVID-enforced absence of late because I think City's defence and also their possession play has suffered as a result with his, his left foot no longer being that, that outlet. Uh, but the fullback is an interesting role at City. We know they like to move inside and take up midfield positions at certain points in the game, Jamison and, and Galloway. So it's something that, Jenkinson is going to have to learn and learn fast. Will he will he play that sort of role, or are we likely to see more? And you and I'd like to hear this from your tactical perspective. Could he play in a back three instead of a back four and be the central back? Possibly. I don't see Patrick Kuznobo changing the formation too much. Okay. Um, okay. I think Jenkinson okay. could do that. He's also occupied kind of ball-winning midfield roles before as well. He's been okay. a bit of a utility man uh, in his uh, kind of various stints and, and at Arsenal as well. He was uh, in various cup games and things. I remember him slotting into midfield as a kind of number six. He was, wasn't a flashy player by any means, um, but uh, he was pretty effective when he was asked to win the ball and, and quickly give it to the more uh, creative players. And maybe with a bit more space and time in the A-League, that might benefit him. I understand his endeavour was always 100%. Mm, absolutely. I mean, they, they called him, uh, they had a nickname for him. I think it was the Corporal. Uh, the Corporal? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, because he, he had an almost militaristic uh, intensity about the way he played. So. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> the Corporal. I wonder, can we, will we be able to see more of the Corporal on the terraces? 
I can see people making salutes now. I think it I might also be a reference to some old English uh, wartime yeah, yeah. program, Corporal Jenkinson, but I'm not actually sure. I'll have to go, go and oh. Google that one. Yeah. Okay, well, what did you make of our opening guest, uh, Sarah Walsh, and uh, how the uh, Matildas are preparing for what promises to be mm. uh, an exciting AFC Asians Asian Cup? I'm I'm uh, very excited about this tournament. I'm excited that we get to watch a couple of games at nine o'clock in the evening. A very civilized time for uh, Asian competition. <laughs> so often these tournaments get played in the Middle East, and you know it's one one a.m. three a.m. kickoff times. Um, we don't have too many uh, late late games in the group stage. Um, it's two nine o'clock kickoffs on ten bold and. Uh, then the third game against Thailand uh, is a 1am uh, slot, but it's on the main channel, which is fantastic. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I I did think her, her justification for, for bringing Ivy Lewick along was quite interesting, uh, irrespective of whether she makes the distance to the, the 2023 World Cup. Um, yeah. Uh, being that experienced head who can uh, mentor the players that are there in, in a high-stakes uh, competition... Uh, that that's interesting because I guess that comes from uh, her playing experience, which I don't have. Because intellectually, I think, well, why would you bring a centre back when we need to find someone for the World Cup? Not for now, but yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what my reading of it is. Um, Luik did a tremendous job at City when they were winning competition mm. after competition, and she has that mentorship that maybe the younger ones uh, will thrive. Uh, she's also, I, I put it to you, yes, more critical for the Asian Cup, less so for the Women's World Cup, but her role as a, a senior player uh, providing really important support will be con- will continue that journey. In other words, I think she'll be there for mm-hmm. 2023, but not quite possibly the key player that she might be at the Asian Cup, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And the other interesting thing for me looking at the squad is the balance yep. of players. There's a lot of forwards in who've been selected. Um, but I think that points to Mary Fowler potentially playing the whole tournament in midfield. Uh, Correct. I think Correct. Uh, if you switch a few of those players, those ver- more versatile players around and say Mary Fowler, actually a midfielder, Kai Simon can play a bit deeper, um, then you, you start to see a more balanced squad emerge. So I don't think we really have taken nine strikers. Uh, I think that's just a, a quirk of you know how the AFC uh, listed those players in mm. the, the registration forms. And I, I think uh, Fowler playing in midfield is a really interesting uh, thing for me because how do you get the best out of a player with a, such a, an incredible skill set who doesn't quite know what her best position is? I don't think she knows. She could thread a needle uh, for forty meters. That that is a that is world class stuff. That that mm. wins you tournaments. That wins you games. She she brings uh, you know. I had I didn't have I've never had reservations with Fowler. I, I was so excited when Alan Stadich gave her um, an opening and gave her a pathway. And then we there were, then remember there was a kerfuffle with the parents and. We weren't quite sure what was going yeah, on. She was eligible for multiple national teams. Yeah, and her there brother may was have been playing some and... of that going on. But my goodness, uh, since she's come back and she since she was introduced, especially under Gustafsson, uh, she has shown us a level of maturity and uh, even more skills in the, uh, not parlor tricks, but real skills. And that deft weighting of the ball, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, it really is special. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're a commentator and you are, and you're a referee and you watch a player spin, look up, or uh, on the process of spinning and turning, already looked up and then laying the ball almost on the bounce to a Caitlin Ford, to a Sam Kerr, to a Kai. So, hello? Absolutely. Could you imagine what she could do playing for America? <laughs> like, no, no, I mean that. Or yeah. England. Yeah, she, she would uh, get into those squads, I think. She definitely Correct. would. Um, it's just a question of how you maximise her talents um, and which area they're best used in. And, she's uh, just got to play. She's just got to play for now. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Just got to play, huh? I, I think getting her the ball more often and therefore playing as, as one of the, the two eights, I suppose, in, yep. in in that midfield three is probably the best best outcome. And then the question following on from that, uh, as always with the Matildas, uh, as long as Elise Kellen-Knight is, is unavailable, is who plays as the number six. And mm. you've got competing players, but also competing styles of players for that slot. Uh, I don't think it does Emily Van Egmond's game any favours when she's no. shoehorned there. But I, I do like, Potentially Kyra Cooney-Cross being converted into that kind of deep-lying playmaker, although, you know, she's inexperienced in that role and and needs a lot of coaching and a lot of help, but she's got potential. And then we've got a player who's more of an athletic, uh, ball-winning, tenacious player in Claire Wheeler who made a a big impression in in short minutes in in the friendly matches. So she might get an opportunity there as well in the the group stage. And who would you pick as the key key go-to goalkeeper? That's a great question. Uh, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> I I think Lydia Williams gives you that advantage of her reach, which can make a big difference. Um, yep. You know, she dominates the penalty area as well, coming out to punch or, or catch crosses as well. Uh, but all three goalkeepers have put compelling cases forward, I think. Well, it's we, we're, we're right on the cusp. Uh, just before we wrap this up, uh, uh, it's been most interesting to see uh, City jump on uh, and grab a player in, uh, w- you know, without wasting a moment. What have you made of the past few weeks where COVID has really created some havoc? Yeah, I think it's an interesting time now with the teams expected to come back and play lots of games in short spaces of time to make up for that lost time when they've actually lost fitness. So I think we'll see a lot of unexpected results uh, based on which teams have been managed to keep fit in ISO the best, which is a hard thing to do, and which players have recovered from COVID you know, quickly enough, which is a completely individual thing. So I think we're going to see some surprising results in the next few weeks as the, the schedule uh, wreaks havoc and, and, and maybe the, the toll it, it, it uh, leaves on players. So teams with more depth and teams who are willing to rotate more and maybe mm. promote youngsters more uh, might actually see the fruits of that over these next few weeks. Uh, speaking of results, what have you made of Central uh, Coast Mariners? Outstanding performance in the FFA Cup. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're tremendous. Like, uh, I think they're a very simple, uncomplicated team, but they all work so hard. Uh, it's a really, uh, it's a working class team, if you like. Uh, and Montgomery's, Montgomery's men doing a great job. Absolutely. And they've already got one of the best young uh, left backs in the league, uh, barely a few matches into his a-League career, Jacob Farrell has looked terrific. Uh, so he's he? a great find. I saw him in his opening game, his debut, and I thought, no, 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 this kid's been playing before. He just looked too cool for school. 
I think he's one of those players who has uh, virtually no nerves because he doesn't really <laughs> regard the games as that much of a big deal. He's just a laid-back yeah. guy. So yeah. I think that helps. Laconic. <laughs> exactly. They asked him after the game, you, you scored an NF3 derby on your yeah. debut. What a dream. He was like, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've done exactly. this before in training. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, speaking of exciting results, uh, what did you make uh, this morning when you saw... Um, in 80 seconds, a young guy called Stephen Bergwijn scored two to lead Spurs over Leicester. You know, the thing that actually stood out to me is what on earth is going on with Yuri Tillemans in Leicester's midfield? I have never seen a player fall off a cliff like that in terms of form. The way he, he had time on the ball, he thought about it, he looked up and gave it straight to Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Yeah. <laughs> you could use looking yeah. directly at him and just pass the ball to him and that set off for the first... Uh, uh, first Bergvine goal. So uh, that that Look, really the touch, by, the touch by Harry Kane to li- deliver that ball that was inch perfect. Yeah, and uh, the speed of Bergvine, which we spoke of with with Sarah, how important speed is. But he's measured that pass. He's just mm. given it that little flick to get past the defence. And of course, Bergwijn's done enough to beat a pretty classy keeper. But Tillemans still has two of the best. Um, candidates for goal of the year has he not in the uh, EPL yeah uh, he's capable of the spectacular I I always thought he was going to be a world beater but uh, maybe he's going to be one of those players who only comes up with something on occasion Uh, and that's a bit of a shame because I I, I really thought he was going to make his next move to one of the super clubs and be you know a perennial kind of Champions League difference maker um, but it turns out that maybe he's just the guy who curls one into the top corner against Manchester United every couple of years. Uh, we said goodbye uh, to uh, Australia's version of George Best today in mm. Melbourne. Uh, a guy called Ulysses Kokinos, uh, South Melbourne, had pulled one out of their history books to do something quite special. They allowed the hearse onto the pitch at Lakeside and they presented the family with two... Uh, original shirts, uh, the proper, the, the official album uh, uh, emblem of the club as it was in the early 60s or the mid 60s, and uh, with with a number nine on the back. Uh, one went in the coffin, and one has been given to the family. So uh, a lot of his old friends, a lot of younger people turned out to pay homage to a remarkable character, not without his foibles. Guy had his demons and so on, but uh, towards the end, he had just about address most of the challenges and it was sad that we lost him a few a couple of weeks ago now but mm. uh, South Melbourne and Heidelberg and others paying homage to a guy who was quite something the man with a fro and the man who was fearless who'd go up and head the ball always into the back of the net and can I leave you with this one story that I think I've told you before and you and we, we need to repeat it because it's so fabulous uh, Dennis Futsinas who was the uh, former state league referee of FIFA, FIFA ref Great mates with Ulysses. And lo and behold, refereeing a game, minutes to go or moments to go, Ulysses has made a break. He's turned the defender around. And, of course, he's been chopped over. Referee a signal for a penalty. Kokinos runs across to the referee, jumps on him, kisses him, <laughs> and then the referee obliged to send a yellow card, to give him a yellow card. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Ulysses did put the ball down and then score from the penalty to win the game for Juventus. So he never missed an opportunity to make havoc and and fun. 
There course you go. He, of course he did. Yeah. George, yeah, that's a lovely and a lovely tribute from from South Melbourne today to uh, one of Australia's uh, great characters in football. Um, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week on State of Our Football Nation. We'll be back on Monday with uh, the Euro Show. We've got more uh, green room episodes to come as well. So make sure you stay tuned, tuned to our socials for all the things uh, coming up next week here on the station. But for uh, for this week at least, it's goodbye for now. Thanks, George. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.